This is Linux Unplugged, episode 26 for February 4th, 2014. Listening to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's green with Hulk rage. My name is Chris. My name is Matt. Hey there, Matt. I'm going to tell you right now. We might get into it if we have time later in this episode, but I'm considering banning Phronics from all Jupiter Broadcasting productions from here on out. Wow. I'm yeah, mad. I'd love to hear more about that. Well, we, you know, it's it's not his fault. I mean, I, I actually respect Michael quite a bit. We've had him on the Linux Action Show. I got a link to it in the show notes. Uh, I respect somebody who works hard. And, you know, he has a trade that he puts a lot of energy to, into. And, of course, maybe he's spread a little bit thin. And, you know, he's created a, a respectable property there. But at the same time, at the same time, I get so mad when we make mistakes in the Linux Action Show, especially in the news segment. Uh, the Linux Action Show has the privilege, because it's coming on, what, its eighth year? It has the privilege of being one of the sources of record for Linux now. It's not the only source. But it's definitely one of the most like time capsule-like sources for Linux history because you can go back now eight years into Linux history and hear about issues at the time that they were happening, you know, the, the, the drama, the, the things that needed to happen and all of that. And it's sort of like reliving that experience and it's a great way to sort of get a Linux history lesson. That's why it really bugs me when we get the news wrong because that's a big part of that. Oh, I would think so. Yeah, well, so a mistake slipped into this week's episode of the Linux Action Show and uh, it's, been, it's been bugging me since Sunday. I know it's Tuesday afternoon here. And uh, I want to talk about that in a little bit, what happened, and, and also I want to give a little bit of history on how important news accuracy is to me on the Linux Action Show, and about some of the actual fundamental changes we had made behind the scenes of the show over the years to try to improve that, because it's so important. Um, and, you know, this mistake happens still, and I want to try to kind of address why and kind of come clean a little bit, because that's absolutely just as much my responsibility. It's not really Phronix's fault. But we're not going to talk about that just yet. Not just yet. No, we have some feedback to get to. Um, and we also have a guest that's going to join us in a little bit. Uh, his name's Martin, and he works uh, with the Mate Project. He does also the Arch packaging of the Mate desktop and is a project advocate. And uh, we're going to chat with him a little bit because we also featured the new Mate desktop live CD that's based on Arch on the Linux Action Show on Sunday. And he's the creator of that live CD, so he'll be coming on the show in a little bit. But first, I wanted to do some follow-up. I wanted to do some corrections before we get to all of that. Because there was a point that I failed to mention on the Linux Action Show this uh, this last Sunday when I was talking about the QBox i4 Pro. And I mentioned that it has a gigabit Ethernet adapter on it, which is technically true. Right. It does have a gigabit Ethernet adapter. But in terms of actual bandwidth, and thanks to OMAC77 in the subreddit for cluing me in on this... You can't actually achieve a full gigabit. You're limited to 470 megabit actual transfer rate due to just ah. bus limitations in that system, right? And it's pretty much true for all ARM uh, real gigabit. You know, you got to have a super fast PCI Express bus, I guess. I mean, I, it's a, it seems to be a limitation in the speed of the ARM system. Um, and it seems to be affecting all ARM chips, which makes sense. I mean, gigabit is pretty fast. And I didn't actually ever stress test it because I was using it as a desktop. But I thought, you know, it has that eSATA multiplexer port. I thought it'd make a great file server. Yeah. 470 megabits isn't too bad, though. 
So if I'm understanding you correctly, you're basically saying that the actual, you know, the Ethernet port itself technically could, in different circumstances, different bus and whatnot, actually support the uh, gigabit. But because of the bus yeah. restrictions, that's no longer, that's not yeah. actually possible. So yeah, it's, kind so of a, it's one of those things of where it says gigabit on the box, uh, but speak. not quite <laughs> gigabit, you know. Gotcha, gotcha. These some of these these ARM systems do have some limitations, but I think it's important to know if you're considering using it as a home file server, which would make pretty good. It'd make a pretty good home file server. It's only uses like a watt when it's idle. So that's I love that aspect of it. And that oh, eSATA yeah. port really made it. Uh, Makes sort of for a, a good candidate. cheap portable computer for someone that might want one and might not otherwise be able to afford one. Yeah, we're uh, you know it's funny too because uh, just my last thoughts on it was uh, when I was looking at this thing, it's 125 dollars, and uh, I also have the Ouya. You remember mm-hmm. the Ouya? It was like I this Android-based console, and it was kickstarted, and it got a ton of money, and it shipped last year, mid-year. It's bigger than this uh, uh, Qbox is. Mm-hmm. I think it's what is it, ninety-nine dollars? So it's technically it's twenty-five dollars cheaper. It's so much slower, and it's so much more limited. And it shows. I mean, I really think you look at that and you see how the Ouya is kind of doomed because it's already right. the Ouya looks old in comparison to this Qbox, and uh, that's just you know. Uh, so I guess in reality, I mean, with both of these side by side, despite the fact that the Ouya is a reasonably new device, it's already dated just based on Seems like it. I think these ARM chips, right. remember back in the day when it seemed like as soon as you got a new Intel processor on the market, the next one was already out and they had just gone yes. from like, you know, 80, 80 megahertz to 90 megahertz and then boom, all of a sudden we're 120 megahertz then 133 megahertz then boom, we're at 160. Now we're at 220, you know, just 400 and 420 and 440 and yeah, they, it just seems like ARM is doing that right now, where it's just rapidly increasing just at a crazy pace. Well, it almost creates a, a perpetual buyer's remorse to where you really can't win. I mean, you, you try and buy these things, and it's like, okay, I'm all set. Oh, wait a minute. Now it's faster. Darn it. You know, and I went ahead and invested that money. So it does kind of per- create a perpetual uh, buyer's remorse, I think, over time. But I think maybe it'll start uh, kind of coming in its own and settle down a little bit. But it does seem like they're just going at such a rapid pace, it's impossible to win. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh. that's why, you know, it's, it's, you know what? You know what? The, speaking of mobile devices and rapid pace, this is why I have Ting. This is a great, this oh. is probably a great time to mention Ting. Ting is a sponsor of this week's podcast, and Ting is mobile that makes sense. They're my mobile service provider and Matt's mobile service provider. Yes. And uh, Ting has no contracts and no early termination fees, but you, they just turned two. Ting's birthday was uh, earlier this week, it was Monday and yesterday. Oh. And uh, to celebrate, they're giving you a gift. This applies to all existing Ting customers and all new Ting customers. And you can find more details over at ting.com slash blog. First, go to linux.ting.com to get started. That way we get credit for your visit. But when you go over to the Ting blog, you'll find out they just slashed their data pricing in a massive way. Uh, They've done a huge reduction on prices. Uh, This is a great time to go back over to linux.ting.com and try out their savings calculator because the data plans just got a lot better. It's this is a perfect example of why it's so rewarding, even a year into it now, to be a Ting customer for me. So I know a little bit. I won't share too much, but I actually know a little bit of the behind the scenes details on how this worked out. Ting has had a very successful two years, and as such, they were able to renegotiate with their with Sprint. Who uh, Ting is an MVNO of the Sprint network, so if you got good Sprint coverage, you're going to get great Ting service. And so they renegotiated with Sprint and said, "Okay, well, we're making you a lot more money now. So what can we do?" And they got this drop on the data rates. And what Ting Ting looked at that and they said, "We could just not say a word and take all of this as profits, and we would be making even more money than we're making now." Or we could continue to make the revenue and profits that we're making right now and just immediately pass that savings on to our customers. And that's what they've done. 
they just moved that savings that they got when they renegotiated the contract and they're giving to their customers. And what's so awesome about it, because Ting has no contracts, you immediately get those new rates. You don't have to call up and sign up for another two-year plan. You don't have to get a new different type of plan and lose your unlimited whatever. No, you just get it because it's just the next billing cycle. That's at the next rate now. If you go sign up for Ting right now, that's what you get. Ting is pay for what you use. It's $6 for a flat rate. That's it. $6 a month and you just pay on top of that. Every single plan includes hotspot, tethering, voicemail, caller ID, video messaging. It's awesome. And, you know, it really does make sense. It, when you start to think about it, it's definitely a different way to do it than the rest of the cell companies, but it is the way that makes the most sense. It really is mobile that makes sense. And on top of that, Ting has an incredible customer service. You call them any time of day over at one 846 4389. That's Ting FTW, 1855 Ting FTW. And a real person will answer the phone and handle your problem right there. You're not going to get transferred. You're not going to get moved around. They're not going to have to go to the next tier. Everybody who answers the phone is the top tier. That's how, and then you, they get they get your problem resolved. They'll call you back if they need to. They're really great, and I think you'll be impressed. And on top of that, if you're a do-it-yourselfer, the Ting dashboard is incredible. Go over to linux.ting.com and scroll down on that page and check out that dashboard. That is not a fake picture. That's really what it looks like, and it is completely functional. I've been able to do everything I've needed to do over the entire year through that dashboard. Go check it out. And now is a better time than ever to rerun through their calculator. Linux.ting.com to support this show and save yourself some money. I pay thirty bucks a month month for my ting line i'm using ways like a mofo i use it all the time and it's like 30 bucks and i got hotspot i got tethering it's great so go to linux.ting.com and a big thank you to ting for sponsoring linux unplugged and their support of the jupiter broadcasting network boy i'll tell you between the panel and those new rates it's just full of wind it really it is so awesome and it's it really underscores how cool they are as a company they're like you know we're just going to pass that right along and they still got the etf relief program and all of that it's really cool Good, mad respect to them. I think that's so awesome. So I want to pull in a guest who's joined us in our mumble room this week. Uh, he's, his name is Martin. Of course, he's going by Wimpy in our, uh, in our, I don't know what that means, but he's going by M- Wimpy in our mumble room. And uh, he works with the Mate, or Mate Project. And uh, Wimpy, or I'm sorry, Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you. So uh, can I, let's start with uh, where we were just, what we were just talking about on last on Sunday, and then we'll just kind of go from there. Uh, so you've been working on this Mate Live CD, and the reason it, this isn't the first Mate Live CD I've ever seen, but what caught my attention is, I think it's the first one based on Arch. So, uh, Wimpy, why Arch? Uh, well, I'm a, an Arch, uh, Arch trusted user, so um, I do the Mate uh, Mate out i'm going to get in so much trouble um i do the packaging on arch linux for mate desktop so when the um idea was circulated among the team about making a live cd it was natural for me to base it on arch and how was that experience did you find there were shortcomings because you know i think of i think of things like fedora spins and the open build service and, and even ubuntu they all sort of have facilities built into them to make it easier to generate a live cd where arch what are you, you doing all that from scratch how does how does that work well, surprisingly, Arch also has a facility built in. Um, you can Pacman install Arch ISO, uh, which is a, a, a suite of scripts. Uh, and from there, there's a base template that if you just then run the build command once you've copied the uh, the configuration, will make you the, um, the Arch Live CD that you can download off the Arch Linux website every month and uses the install media. So you can start with that, and from there, you can customize the packages that are built in um, and a whole raft of other things. I, I'd never done it before, and it was really straightforward. Oh, very cool. That's good to know. I'll have to look into that. So, 
Uh, you, uh, you are a mar- You are a, a Matei. I'm going to have a hard time. I'm going to try it, though. You're a Matei advocate. Why? Why the Matei desktop environment? I mean, it seems to me that uh, uh, it. It's sort of it's sort of seen an increase in um, popularity. I know we're seeing a lot more distributions include it. Is is it sort of is it getting a lot of momentum behind it? And why did you choose to become an advocate? Right. Well, yes, it is. It is gaining in popularity. I think we've there's been a lot of effort in the team to push um, all the packages into some of the larger distributions, such as Arch Linux and more recently Debian, and that's now percolating down to Ubuntu. Um, and we're certainly seeing it trending up on the um, Debian uh, package install statistics. Um, the reason I got involved with it is um, I had been using um, GNOME 3 for about 18 months or so, and I was reasonably happy with it. And I'd installed it on my wife's laptop um, some years ago. She'd since got a, a smartphone and was pretty much using that for everything. And time goes by, and then one evening she decides she wants to organize some photos. <laughs> And uh, she sits down in front of this GNOME 3 thing that she really didn't pay attention to when I was showing her how to use it a year or so earlier and w- was hugely frustrated with it and, right. and almost hurled it at me. So uh, it was uh, <laughs> ma- marriage marriage protection. The, the so spousal I, approval factor was low is yeah, what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. So I, I very quickly um, yanked GNOME 3 off, off that uh, machine. I put the Mate desktop on and that restored... Uh, an environment that she was familiar with because she's been using uh, Ubuntu for many years previous and was familiar with the GNOME 2 uh, setup there. So that's that's where I got started. And when I had installed Mate, um, I noticed that it was working okay, but there were some bits missing and there were some bits that were broken. So I just decided to um, get stuck in and I started submitting pull requests to the project to fix up some of the packaging. I wonder. It seems like potentially, uh, as XP as the XP era comes to a close, if maybe more conventional uh, these types of standard paradigm desktops will see a big boost, just because of people looking for um, uh, something other to move to. Have you seen some of that when you re- when you're doing outreach? Who are you outreaching to? Well, uh, it's that's a new thing for me. It's something I've decided to start doing for the project this year. Um, so uh, this is the first time I've sort of done a proper promotion okay. to talk about the project and, and, and try and make people more aware of it, its, its existence. Um, but certainly uh, within my family and circle of friends who I've helped move to Linux, uh, they have been um, more comfortable with Mate uh, because most of them are moving from uh, Windows XP machines and a couple of clicks change the menu layout, move move the bar to the bottom of the screen, and it's much like Windows XP with the start button and a familiar-looking programs menu. So it's been very familiar to them. And once they've got Thunderbird and Firefox installed, they're away. I, I wanted to, uh, if, you, if you'd let me, uh, shift gears a little bit to Arch. Um, uh, you mentioned you're an Arch-trusted user, and I realized that uh, – there's a lot of people who probably have heard that term but have no idea what it means. So what is an Arch-trusted user and how did you become one? Um, I became one through the work I'd done with the Mate desktop. So I'd done all this packaging and I was maintaining an unofficial repository for the Mate desktop project. And then I uh, took over all of the Mate packages in the AUR because they were very old had been put there by the original Mate project creator some years previous and brought them all up to mm. up to scratch. And I was actually contacted by another 
Arch Linux trusted user who um, agreed to sponsor my application to join the team oh, wow. because I wanted to get Mate into the Arch Linux official repositories. So, um, yeah, there's a there's a process that you have to go through there. There's a, a peer peer review assessment and, um, and voting to actually vote you in onto the team and you sort of have to prove your worth and how, how you're going to improve the team. The main responsibilities of Arch Linux trusted users are they are the um, the moderators, if you like, of the AUR. So um, there's the mailing list where people can say, "Can you merge these packages? Can you delete these old ones? Can you rename these?" Uh, if anyone needs any help with um, package creation or wants their packages checking over, that's something that the trusted users do. Uh, the trusted users can then pull packages that they're interested in or that they uh, see in the AUR that have got um, good adoption, uh, so plenty of votes and something that can be redistributed, um, will then choose to adopt that package and pull it into the community repository and then maintain it as part of an, uh, an official official package. And then some of the um, TUs have uh, other responsibilities within the team, so there'll be um, forum moderators, people that are working on back-end infrastructure and things like that. Well, Arch and Matei seem like a, actually a pretty good combination because uh, you can have a you could have a pretty tight, lightweight system with on there. So that's why I was drawn to that that live CD. And obviously, I just had a pretty strong interest in Arch these days. But uh, is there anything else, Martin, you want to touch on with the Matei desktop or Arch before we uh, jump to our next topic? Uh, if you don't mind, I mean, one of the things I worked on was um, I, I did the initial porting to get Mate working on uh, ARMv6 hard oh, float and ARMv7 wow. hard float. Well, you know, I was just using that this last week. That's awesome. Yeah. Tell me about that. Uh, well, curiously, that, that QBox that you've got, I've got the previous generation, the QBox okay. Pro. Uh-huh. So um, in in uh, air quotes, I've, I created a cluster at home of two Raspberry Pis <laughs> and two QBox Pros <laughs> to actually do the, the package building for um, for the ARM ports. And the reason I did that is I had this aspiration to get it into the official repositories, and I knew if it hit the official repositories, it would automatically percolate into the build surface for the Arch Linux ARM project. And I wanted them just to flow straight in without any problem. Um so I was building the packages in the unofficial repositories um, for four architectures for x86, um, x86, x64, and then the two two arms. So yeah, I've I've got some of those QBox or the older generation of the QBoxes. But it's hilarious. It takes about fifty minutes to build the whole Mate package tree for Mate one point six on a relatively modern PC, and it takes about twenty eight hours to build it on two arm boxes. <laughs> oh jeez! Wow. Well, I can't tell you. Uh how happy I was when I was sitting, I had LXDE was what I started with. And I thought, okay, LXDE is fine, but I really would like to have, like, I was trying to think if I was going to actually use this as a workstation to do like server work and stuff like that, I would probably want more than LXDE. That's just me. And I, it, you know, it went off. I, I, I was sitting there and I was, I couldn't really decide what to go with. And it was, it was like a, it was like a light bulb. I just knew all of a sudden, you know what, I got to go with mate or Mate because it, it's it's going to be lightweight, and I didn't know if it was going to be f- available for ARM, so I just I went to the command line, did a pacman-s, and I said, mate, and I think that's all I did. And before I hit enter, I went and did a Google search or, uh, to the over-the-arch wiki and made sure I did like the right package and hit enter, and boom, everything was there, and I got a full desktop, and I really made that box go from, you know, this is something that's really limited to, okay, now I could have a full desktop experience. And uh, I, I, I think it's perfect for that kind of device. It really is, and something that I'm working on, the next little project I'm working on, is um, an image for the Raspberry Pi, 
which will be um, Arch Linux with the Mate desktop installed, but with uh, a series of tweaks so that it really it really flies. In fact, I've got I think you had one of those laptop devices in a previous show. Yeah, I've got one of those sat in front of me here with um, two. I've got two of those and two Raspberry Pis, and I've started working on this. So so soon enough there'll be um, uh, a Mate. Um, image you can download with uh, it all set up ready to go with with arch linux wow well so q5 uh sis uh who owns that laptop i was using wants me to ask you if you know anything about uh matei and their plans with wayland have you heard anything about that uh yeah i have so um mate 1.8 uh, currently on the roadmap is to support wayland uh, and the precursor to that is to um pro- provide gtk3 support so uh, the uh, work the work on GTK3 support is is largely complete. So there are some uh, Mate 1.7 development tarball releases. I've got an unofficial repository for Arch Linux users where you can go and install it and try it out. Although my build is currently still GTK2, mm. uh, but I've got a GTK3 version that I've, I, I run locally. Um, so that GTK3 work is there as the precursor, and then the Wayland support will follow. Uh, so I got to ask the obligatory. Um, any discussions around Mir? Is there anything changed there? As far as I know, it's not planned to be supported. Well, I uh, I'm glad to hear that you guys. I think the compatibility, or is it is that the right term? Uh, you're not switching to GTK three, but you're supporting GTK three. What's is that right? Yeah, that's right. So um, we're retaining the GTK two support and adding GTK three support. So at build time, you can choose which toolkit you you want to build against. That's cool. Um, and this is so. For example, um, the Raspberry Pi at the moment, um, there's not a decent accelerated driver that's available. I think that's going to come in due course. So it would make sense to continue to build the packages for the Raspberry Pi against GTK2 and keep it that little bit lighter. But then for the for the desktops, then maybe GTK3 would make more sense. Um, and what I'm wrestling with at the moment is, do I really want to um, support both toolkits? And I think the answer is I'm going to have to, but that's going to effectively double the number of packages yeah, yeah. that I'm responsible but for. But that seems so. like, to me, that seems, I know that is, that is, that means more overhead, but it, gosh, that's a great combination. If you can have GTK2 and GTK3 playing together, uh, everybody's happy, it seems like. And Best of both worlds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and although the GTK3 toolkit support is not in Mate 1.6, uh, GTK3 applications will integrate seamlessly with Mate, even though the desktop is uh, GTK2. So all of the uh, the theming and everything is uh, transparent. So, wow, if, uh, for example, awesome. if you if you run network network managers in the live CD, for example, you won't notice that that that's any different from any of the GTK2 applications. That's really great. That's really great. Gosh. Sounds like, you know, people have a misconception about the Matei project being sort of old-fashioned and out of date, but it sounds like you guys are right there on the cutting edge and some exciting stuff coming. In in some respects, I mean, yes, that is one of the myths that, you know, I'd like to bust about Mate. You know, it is seen as that, you know, everything got forked and it was a great big dirty hack that sat on top of, you know, the the forked project. But um, in recent years, um, our lead developer, um, Stefano, he's really put a lot of effort into turning it into a proper project. So there is a roadmap. I mean, a lot of the obsolete libraries from from the GNOME 2 days have been um, either replaced with the modern alternatives or just thrown out altogether. So that's one of the reasons why Mate is lighter than GNOME 2 used to be. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Gconf has been replaced with uh, Dconf and G settings, and uh, there's a whole raft of other changes like that. And then that will continue to 
be the case going into the future. So we're trying to align more with the GNOME libraries that provide the functionality that we need whilst preserving the Mate desktop and its traditional desktop metaphors. Well, uh, Wimpy, a.k.a. Martin, thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, I'd, I'd love to have you stick around for the rest of the show and uh, jump in and comment with the rest of us uh, as we go forward. And uh, please feel free to stop by any time. Uh, love getting perspective from people who work with the projects and uh, also people who work with Arch Linux. I'm a huge Arch fan. So thanks very much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Good stuff. And, yeah. Hope, hope we'll see you some more. All right, Matt. Well, before we go to the topic of the, the little snafu that got me all in a hulk rage this week, <laughs> Oh, man, I got to tell you, I'm actually glad we're doing this on a Tuesday because I was really fired up about this Monday, and I probably said some things I shouldn't have in Coda Radio uh, this week, but uh, I've had some time to think about it and, uh, you know, accept some of the responsibility, so I'm going to talk about that. But first, I want to thank our second sponsor this week, and that is DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is simple cloud hosting, and they're dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Now, Matt, you know I've been on here bragging about my 47 seconds, right? Oh, yes, you have. <laughs> yeah, well, so of course, of course, you know, you, you leave it up to our audience. Mark writes into the show. He says, I beat the champ. I spun up a digital ocean cloud server in 40 seconds. Whoa. You got it in 40 seconds. Yeah. And uh, he actually, this is, the, he knew I wouldn't believe it because, see, I had 47 <laughs> seconds as the, and DigitalOcean right. says you can do it, in, users can do it in 55 seconds, right? And I, I always got it down to 40, uh, 47. I was feeling pretty good. Mark clocks in here at 40 seconds and he even included a tiny, you can't really see it. Sorry, actually, I was trying to get a shot of it for you guys, but he included a tiny screenshot. He got it in 40 seconds, his DigitalOcean droplet. So let me tell you a little bit about DigitalOcean. You can create a cloud server in 55 seconds. If you're like myself, 47 is my record. See if you can beat Mark at 40 seconds. I don't think it can be done. See if you can beat him. Mark can create a cloud server in 40 seconds. Pricing plans start at $5 per month for 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. Now, uh, this SSD actually makes a difference. I've had a DigitalOcean droplet running Arch Linux. Yes, I've got a server in Arch Linux, and yes, it's been fine. It's actually been great because I've been keeping real close to the updates to BitTorrent Sync because this is a BitTorrent Sync server. Now, Mark said what he's doing, he said, hey, I know you enjoy hearing about what people do with uh, their DigitalOcean VPSs. This particular one is used to host a Starbound server, which Starbound is just exploding on Steam right now. It's like the number one Linux game on Steam, and it's it's cray cray. I should talk about it at some point, but I know how much you guys hate it, hate it when I talk about games. But it's really good if you want to check it out. So he's running a Starbound server on there. I've heard from people who are running Yassi search uh, engines up there. BitTorrent Sync is great. Michael Dominic from Coda Radio uses it to uh, work with his clients. He'll either use it for temporary backend hosting or he'll actually set them up a server over there because what's great about DigitalOcean is it's fixed pricing. So you know exactly what you're going to spend and clients love that. It also makes it really easy for budgeting of projects and things like that or just, I know, every month I can pay in $5. You know, we have people in the audience now that have webmail up there and they just know it's $5 for my mail service. That's perfectly reasonable to have full access and of course DigitalOcean has a super great control panel that lets you image it and set up uh, backups and deploy you can configure a machine and save that and deploy it later uh, they also have data center locations in New York, San Francisco, and Amsterdam. So go check them out. Go see that intuitive uh, control panel, and you can also uh, replicate it with the API if you want for your own tools. And DigitalOcean has, also has a vast collection of tutorials in their community section on their site, and users can submit articles to the community, and they get paid $50 per published piece. But here's the deal. Here's where we're going to get you a little something-something because you're a Linux Unplugged listener, and we love you. We're doing this for you, so go take advantage of this because why wouldn't you? It's cray-cray. If you use the promo code LinuxUnpluggedFebruary, 
Let them know that you appreciate they're still here. They've been here for a few months. Go use this promo code Linux Unplugged February to say thank you for continuing to come back for another month to Linux Unplugged. We appreciate you supporting Jupiter Broadcasting and Linux Unplugged show. And plus, that's going to get you a $10 credit. That'll let you try out that $5 machine for two months for free. You're going to get root access. You can run Ubuntu, Fedora, CentOS, Arch Linux, Debian, whatever you want, son, go do it and see what I've been talking about. This is a great thing to learn and experiment on or use in production and it's super fast with those SSDs and their Tier 1 bandwidth. So thank you to DigitalOcean for supporting Linux Unplugged and Jupiter Broadcasting, and thank you to everyone in our audience who uses that promo code Linux Unplugged February to get a $10 credit. You can uh, also click the uh, link in our show notes, and a big thank you to DigitalOcean. Boy, 40 seconds, that's just wild, isn't it? <laughs> it's really, I mean, like, I wonder if he had to, like, create a few of them, because you can make them real quick, right? So right. I wonder if he, like, ran through it a few times and then timed it and then just sent me his best one. <laughs> Do you think he had a Rocky montage happening while he was doing this? <laughs> that would You're totally, totally motivate you know, I like that. Totally see that. That's what I'll try. Maybe that's how I'll beat him. <laughs> okay, so uh, on, on Sunday... I, I was uh, filling out the news, and we had this KDE story about uh, designers coming over to the KDE project to help spiffify up the next version of the Plasma desktop. And I thought, okay, this is good, but this isn't. This it's really early days on this story, so it's not. It's not a st- full story in itself. I need a little something else to go with this story to kind of let's spend a minute. This qualifies it to be in the news segment, right? That kind of thing. So when I found this article, and I was not thinking clearly, and I fully admit that I was sort of just looking for something to round out the overall story, and so I, I kind of cheated, and just when I saw the headline, I grabbed it. And it's uh, it was an article ran on Pharonix, KDE Plasma Next gets a release date. And in here, it talks about the plan to do a feature freeze in March, which we talked about in the show, beta in April, and then the final version comes out in June, will be called 2014.6, should it actually ship. Now, nowhere, nowhere in here does it say this was a proposal. And I didn't report it as such because I didn't realize that. And that was my bad because I made it sound like that's an actual planned commitment on the KDE project's point. And uh, I have a lot of respect for the KWIN developer, Martin. I'm not even going to try to get Martin's last name because I know I got to get, I just got to convince him to come on the show so he can pronounce it for me. But, uh, you know, there's some developers I follow in the open source community. And uh, Martin's one of the ones that I, hi- I hold in the highest regard as far as his talents and his insights. And so I felt pretty bad when he went to G Plus and uh, he said, reasons why I sometimes hate the openness of free software. We are not able to discuss anything without the media reporting about it on the same day. Sigh. Dear Free Software Media, you can leave the inter- internal discussions as internal till there is a public statement. Thank you. And so what he's saying there is so that Pharonix post was a post from the mailing list on, on you know, whatever mailing list it was on. Uh, and that was where the discussion was having on the Plasma Devel mailing list. That's where the discussion was having ha- taking place. And it was being discussed as a hypothetical proposal. It got ran as the as KDE's Plasma Next gets a release date, and then I grabbed it to round out a story. And so you can see how we just sort of perpetuated this mistake that sort of all of a sudden commits the KDE project to a timeline that they never actually agreed to, and we're just discussing in their mailing list. You know, I can see, yeah, and I'm looking at this as a writer. Uh, definitely, I'm fine with the title, but I think it needed to be in big, bold print within the article that this was a proposal. That's where I see the big, that's where I, th- I think I have the biggest issue with it, is that this needs to be very clear. I get the attention-grabbing title, that's fine, whatever, but be clear in the article. And I didn't get that just when I was reading that. Um, it definitely felt like that that should have yeah. been made much yeah. more clear. And, and you know, I, I... Mixed feelings on the list, though, honestly. If it's on a public list, 
you know, as long as it's made clear, and that part wasn't done in this case, but as long as it's made clear, I don't see that as a big problem. As long as it's really, 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 really clear. Yeah, I think it's. I think it comes down to um, my mistake was in not going to the mailing list itself and reading sure. it. And the reason why is because I get so sick and tired of reading mailing lists because from an oh. outside perspective. Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. So we had another story this Sunday on the Linux Action Show about OpenSUSE uh, getting some changes at OpenSUSE where uh, folks from SUSE proper would not be working on OpenSUSE for the release. They'd be working on the ancillary services around OpenSUSE. I first found out about that by following the mailing list, but I was so confused on what I saw that I wasn't going to run the story because – it seemed to be saying that people from SUSE wouldn't be working on OpenSUSE anymore. And to me, that was like, no way am I reading this right. Because, first of all, English isn't the primary language in some of these mailing lists. Uh, there's assumed cultural references and you know assumed knowledge that people have to other people on the mailing list that is really hard to follow. Sometimes these conversations are 30 emails deep. Sometimes they're not. And so it's, these, it's one of these things where I, a lot of times I've sat on a story from a mailing list. But one of my... One of my sort of self-checks is if I see another publication like LWN or Pharonix run the story, then it kind of confirms what I found, and I usually will then go with it. And in this case, with the OpenSUSE thing, not only did LWN um, confirm it, but I uh, even before LWN had a story up – oh, no, it was after LWN had a story up. I reached out to uh, an old friend of the show who now works at SUSE proper. I don't know if he's made that public yet. Uh, and I had a 45-minute conversation with him to try to really try to figure out, am I really reading what I'm seeing? Now, that resulted in five minutes of coverage in the Linux Action Show. But I probably spent two hours on that story to verify it, just because it seemed so massive. Now, I can't do that for every story. And in this case, I was being lazy. And I could have gone into the KDE mailing list and saw that they were saying proposal, but I just went with the Pharonix headline. That was my mistake, but Boy, it, it yeah. seems like I think potentially what, what what bothers me about this Pharonix mistake here is I actually think he probably wasn't even aware it was a proposal. Either it got sent to him and he ran with it, like somebody posted it in the forum and then he republished it, or he grabbed it and he was working quick and he didn't read it all the way and he made the mistake and that perpetuated the mistake. Now, I also perpetuated it, so it's my fault too. Well, I think also the, another differentiator is essentially at its essence, it's essentially a blog versus a – uh, major publication like uh, you know a mag like an online magazine or something like that. So like the CNETs of the world. While I gripe at, you know I gripe at various publications online. Usually there's multi-tiered editing that happens and fact checking that happens um, in a in written format. And so when we read something on these sites, we trust that that information is in fact actual. And Phronix has been we you know would assume had that same level of clarity. But in this case, we were kind of let down. It feels like. I feel like okay, so again, I want to give you guys. See, this really bothers me when we make these mistakes in the show because I, so uh, I don't remember what it was exactly, but this whole problem of somebody reading something on a mailing list and then it getting reported as news isn't unique to the KDE project. Like, no. I remember this happened to Arch. I was reminded recently that uh, the announcement when they were just discussing Arch switching to Systemd, people grabbed that and ran with it as Arch is officially switching before it was actually officially switching. Uh, so it happens all the time. And so originally I was trying to think, well, how can we improve that process? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, uh, when, when the first – so the last time the show had a kind of a – I can't even remember what the gaffe was. But there was a – we covered something wrong in the show. And that was the inspiration for the creation of the Linux Action Show subreddit. The idea was is I don't want – I don't want – if we're going to have the podcast of record for Linux, I don't want – 
to have I want to minimize mistakes as much as possible because every time there's a mistake it really it really eats at me and so at least in the news and so I thought okay I could drop the news because I'd rather not do the news well than... and I don't think you need to drop it I, I and not to cut you off here but I want to point out that I, if I had a dollar for every time I misquoted or got something wrong, that's what corrections are well, for, know, and, that's, yeah. and that's what this show is. Yeah, is it exactly. allows yeah. for a correction, and that's that's allowed. So I okay. thought, okay, dropping the news that's going too far. But I just want to sure. show you. I want. I'm trying to illustrate my commitment to trying to get this right. Is I would rather not do it at all than make the mistake. So okay. that was the inspiration for the subreddit. Was here's what we'll do: we'll assemble an army of informed Linux enthusiasts, and the crowd knowledge will sift through all of the news. And I won't let a story. And in fact, I even think I said this on air: I won't let a story into the show until it's been vetted by the community. However, that was a good theory. But the problem is, is I think uh, first of all, Linux news is sort of going through a slow period right now, so it requires a lot more digging. So hence the going to the mailing list, right? And so you can't ex- you, you can't expect the burden of uh, a, a, a loose group of community enthusiasts to actually do all that digging and try to do original reporting and submit it to a Linux Action Show subreddit. So I I, I take that burden on because it, Linux Action Show happens every single Sunday, and the one thing I can count on is that I will get something in place for it. So I take that on and I do the digging. So sometimes I fall short a little bit, and and what happens is is if I do digging outside the subreddit, which I always am doing because I'm always trying to one-up the subreddit too and try to find something they didn't find, it means it never, make, it never gets vetted through the show because it doesn't go through that process. And so I'm either left with not covering stories that don't go through the subreddit, which doesn't seem very likely, or trying to come up with another way to sort of improve the quality of news. And, and I'm, kind of, I'm kind of wondering – I kind of want to open this discussion up to the Mumble Room and, of course, to you too and – and see what people think are, are ideas on ways we could improve the news. And one idea I had, I'll, I'll tell you my idea up front, was maybe we, we drop the amount of news we cover and focus on a couple of stories. And maybe one, of the, one or two or three of the stories, maybe it's four stories, I don't know what that mix is. But one of them, we try to get an interview on with the person who's making the story. Now, the problem with this is, is this would actually just require like somebody from the community become a producer for that and they track down the story and then track down the person and line up the timings so that way we can chat with them because I just, that's not something I have time to do. I, it is, it's more work than it sounds. It sounds like it's not a lot of work. It's, it's probably four, four to six hours of work. Oh, it's maybe, tough. Maybe I mean, you're, you're combing Google, you're combing LinkedIn, you're combing pretty much any place you can think of to hopefully find an email address. And then there's a few tricks that most people don't know. And then there's, then there's the 30 email back and forth lining yeah. up and, and answering all of the questions. I mean, it is this massive process that it takes a ton of time. So, but I feel like if, if, it, if the show's going on eight years and I feel like we could take it up a notch by sort of having the newsmakers come on and make the news right there and say, I, I think if it, if we established, you know, the Linux Action Show news segment, you're going to hear from some of the newsmakers every episode. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a huge uh, up, uh, upgrade for the sh- news segment. And I think also it would sort of establish, like, people eventually would figure out, hey, we're about to have an announcement. Let's schedule something with Lass. Uh, so I don't know. I think, what do you guys think? Yeah, go ahead, Tyler. I think what you said, is, what I've managed to gather is most of your common mistakes seem to be coming from generally one news source, and that's Pharonix. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is that. I mean, that's like, you know, I mean, like, but at the same time, everybody was claiming he was wrong about Steam, and then it turns out he was right about Steam. Right. Wait, isn't this what um, Unplugged is for, though? So, like, you can get feedback from the like news segments so like you can correct yourself on unplugged if you need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and we do. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. 
But there's yeah, a thing. Yeah, you correct your mistake later, then it's fine in my eyes. You can't yeah, really expect everyone to listen to two podcasts, though. That, no, right. but, Maybe but you can't expect to someone to go back to an old article either that I published or someone else publishes and say, oh, wow, I was completely wrong. They, they've already read it. They've moved on. You know, So all you can do is put your retraction out there and let the chips fall. Maybe what you ought to do is have your new studio troll do the research for you. Well, see, here's the other thing, too, is I think what I'm trying to address, this is a problem, and this is actually, when I scratched down my thoughts on this, what I actually titled this as is Fixing Linux News, because what... What we've talked about on this show, uh, it, uh, what was it? episode 11 of Linux Unplugged, we titled it Bankrupt Linux News because it is – there is just not a lot of good Linux. There's some. There is some and I want to give them credit but there's not enough and I thought maybe we can improve the quality of news coverage in LAS and at the same time improve the overall state of Linux news coverage, like, like actually become a news source and in that sense – that's why, because we have this access to communities, we have these we have these personalities and these developers that we can reach out to. I think we have an opportunity to have instead of getting misquoted blogs and 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 Reddit posts from. See, the problem is this is not a problem that's going to go away because you got Reddit, you got Twitter, you got Google Plus. People are going to be sure. grabbing stuff and misreporting stuff constantly. Pharonix made the mistake today, but all it takes is some. In Reddit enthusiast to post it, and it could become it could quickly become the top vote on r slash Linux and be completely inaccurate, right? Well, so there's it's not just Pharonix; it's it's no. a larger problem that I I think I'm trying to solve here. I, I'd say just it, it would require some more research to, before it even makes it into the show, and ultimately, if you do want to bring somebody in for an interview, make that for the main section of the show, not necessarily the news section. I think I'm yeah. thinking the interview would be like two minutes long. So you bring somebody yeah. on, you say, okay, True. so uh, we saw there's a new version of uh, this that shipped today. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Boom, boom, super quick. Then we move on and we do a couple other news stories. And I, I, I Like th- a pundit. Yeah, they come in, they, well, they just, they just tell us what they're up to. Or the other thing we could do is in lieu of getting the person that actually is behind the story, maybe we could get the person who broke the story and ask them some of the, and clarify some of the questions right there and get it on the record. <laughs> That's a really good idea, but I think as long as you can catch it ahead of time, like if you find it and you can catch it, as long as you just put a, like, a little thing in the show notes and a uh, little comment on a YouTube channel, I think you're fine. So, I mean, yeah, everybody's got, human. Like, people make mistakes. As long as you actually like catch a mistake and own up to it, I think you're fine. So uh, Q5Sys pointed out in the chat room that uh, he, he said that maybe um, – since Pharonix is being filled, is getting more and more ads, maybe it was a clickbait-type title. And regardless of whether or not that's true, maybe something, uh, maybe the same philosophy that you apply to Unfilter with, um, you know, that news should be without sponsors, maybe that needs to be applied to Linux news as well. Um... No, the, the easiest fix, in my opinion, is to basically subdomain this out on news, have it, po- have it you know, have, have the news story posted always have two separate unrelated citations as to where it came from. Maybe it's a mailing list and an actual statement or blog post from that developer or whatever it may be. And then it can actually – and if you can't obtain two, then it is then flagged as uh, speculative, not news. You know, So that way – you know. If we're going to have pundits, we're going to have to have this Fox News or CNN sound effects. Yeah, like I, don't think pundits, I don't think you know, pundits is the right descriptor. Yeah. I would be yeah, more like, I mean, it'd be more like the developers. Pundits know what they're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Chris, we need a situation around for Linux. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, and the thing is, is, the more I think about it, I mean, it's really it, – it, it's, it's almost infeasible production-wise on a weekly schedule like that. But it, it would really have to – I would be something I'd be willing to take on if we had somebody in the community – 
who who wanted to sort of step up and, and be well, that coordinator, sort he, of be that production person. like he's definitely willing to do that. He's actually mentioned he's trying to get in and wants to comment on this. But uh, oh. he did indicate in the chat room that he would be interested in taking on that role if, if that was something you wanted to do. Oh, well, all right. Well, I'll talk to him more off air yeah. because that, that – Yeah, way. I'm def- I'm definitely down for that if you want to oh, well, yeah. you know, make headway in that direction. Yeah, okay. Yeah, let's talk more because uh, – I mean I'm not t- – I don't want to convert every last news segment into an interview segment. But I feel like if – if maybe nothing else, stuff. I want to. I want to maybe. Yeah, if the big stuff, if we can get stuff in there, and I, if we can just, I just want to try to get as accurate as possible because it really bothers me when we get the stories wrong. So you and I will chat more, and maybe we can uh, work something out there. Just no, Chris, I got to ask: Are we going to have a situation room? Because we really need to have a situation room, <laughs> I, and, I, I, can, and I want a wall of. Yeah, awesome. That's what I've been saying this whole time. We need to get like green screens all over the place. I, I mean, all right, all right. Here you go. Here you go. This is CNN's Wolf Blitzer, and you're in the situation room. Uh, Matt, I'm reporting live on the scene from the mailing list right now. I can tell you I've reviewed the thread. I've actually read every single email, and I can confirm these dates are simply proposals. Situation. Oh, situation. Thanks, Chris. Now we're all going to get flagged on YouTube. Oh, that now. is hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> or we could do like Chris, Fox News and have those oversized monitors of death. You know, those I got that too. Chris, I've got the uh, wall of screens already taken care of. Yeah, you do. That's right. You are in the situation room. You got like... Uh, yeah, you got uh, Shep and uh, Wolfbeat. Well, um, so Actually, speaking of uh, last and Sunday, uh, um, I was wanting to plug something. Back to the uh, desktop app you picked, the uh, live streamer. Um, I actually found something really cool this weekend. Uh, it's called YouTube Viewer. It's actually a command line tool to view YouTube in your terminal. So it's so, U- YouTube uh, Viewer. Yes, it, it's YouTube in a terminal. And that sounds like it's gonna. That's a pretty generic search, but actually, I found it right here. It's on GitHub. All right. So, are the, on, uh, is the video then ASCII? I mean, how's that work? <laughs> no, you like, you load YouTube or edit terminal. It pops up. You can log in. Yeah. Like you can see all your subscriptions, and it'll give a video, and it'll just have a number beside the video. So you press one, and then the video, oh. and it'll play it through Empire. Does all it right. does it use like a VLC as the it, it, as it, like it, the back end? You can use uh, VLC, SN player, or in player, I think. So, uh, and you just, what, you just you just put the command in the command line, and then uh, you just put the YouTube URL in there, and then Bob's your uncle? No, you don't need a URL. Like, you search for the video in oh. the YouTube viewer, oh. you know, like display them, and you just hit the number next to the video, and it'll play it. Oh, I like And you that. can actually select the uh, video quality, too. I could, like, dash 7 for 720p, like, dash 10 for 1080 that's really cool. I just put a, I put a link in the show notes and in the chat room, so you guys. Yeah, I just yeah. want to get that out real quick before we get off air. That, that uh, is cool, and there, there's also an app called YouTube DL to uh, right. download that, that was, from the terminal. That's a GUI one, though. Or is that terminal? It's on? not GUI. It's no, it's a terminal. terminal. Okay. Yeah, there, there's another one. It's a, a GUI, but this one's a terminal one. So um, I want to talk a little bit about my news process, and because uh, I do, I, I think maybe the there might be the wrong assumption that, it, that there's not a lot of research done in them now. So right now, uh, first of all, I think one way we could address this problem is I'd like to call on a new focus in the Linux Action Show subreddit on news correlation. I'm not saying off topic. I'm not saying all the other discussions aren't fine, but please just want to remind everybody if you see a story. 
uh, let's post it there because I've been noticing some stories that I'm tracking that are not showing up in the subreddit, which is normally it used to be the subreddit was like the best place to get the latest breaking stuff. So I just kind of want to maybe refocus on news there too. And I also, along with that, it's equally important that people vote up and down the stories they think should be in the show. And if you know something's wrong, please say so in the comments or if you have an alternative take or if you have some additional thoughts, please engage in the comments. All of the stuff, all the other community stuff that happens there right now is awesome. I love that subreddit. It's funny because I was starting to say, you know, we created it because of a mistake and it was just going to be a news vetting tool for the show. And it has developed into this vibrant, awesome community that is really, you know, one of the driving forces behind the show. And so I don't want to break what it's doing, but I also want to call for a focus on um, using it really as a tool for content that should be in the show and vetting out the stuff that's crap. Well, here's an option. Like you said earlier that you try to compete with the subreddit about breaking news and stuff. And instead of doing that, you could post the articles on yeah. it and say, this is a potential yeah. for a news. Yeah, I've been doing that now. But you know what the vetted. problem is, is like if you got, I want to every now and then have a few surprises in the news segments. That way, if somebody goes to that subreddit several times a day, they can turn on last and still maybe hear a story they didn't see in the subreddit. I don't, I don't always get there, but... Hey, Chris, I, I wasn't necessarily saying you weren't doing the research. It's just you are very busy with all these shows going on. And, you know, maybe having yeah. somebody like Rick, I help you out would be yeah. a huge benefit. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I'm going to try to build out a little team there because there's other, you know, and that could benefit the other shows, too. You yeah. know, it's not just last. I, I um, not to bash it or anything, but I don't use like stuff like Ars Technica or, or, uh, or uh, Gizmodo or stuff like that. I usually try to find mm-hmm. the primary source mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I feel like that sometimes when you have things like Ars Technica or Gizmodo or or Kodoku or or whatever website that is, I I feel that it's sometimes opinionated. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, yeah. and I'm I'm very factual, so I I like to get just straight to the facts, and I don't want to hear about oh. Well, you know, it could be used for this feature. I I can kind of discern that for myself, but um, for the most part, I like use that. primary yeah. sources. If I could build on that, I think some of the biggest offenders in the Linux world would be like Pharonix or OMG Ubuntu. Yes, definitely. Definitely. But the sites like that do kind of have the advantage that a they give new users easy to digest information, <laughs> and they also aggregate. Uh, stories so that a new user who wants Linux news wouldn't necessarily have to go find the mailing list or something like that. That's true. I just feel that sometimes when we reach out into those type of sources that it sometimes is a little bit too opinionated to one side than it is to the other. I just don't like the idea of... Sorry. Sorry. I don't like the idea of putting... Pharonix in the same area as like Network World because I mean if you really want bad coverage anything from ZDNet I mean well this is the problem you guys is everywhere is bad coverage it really yeah, is pretty bad there's a, there's there's a handful of legitimate community based or or even business based outlets that get it right but it, they're in the minority yeah and I'm just to news. pipe in on this a little bit uh, just to give you guys some perspective the bigger the company the worse it is honestly yeah yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna be real blunt with you and and. It, it just it's just the way it is. Now, if it's technical information only, it's not so bad. But if you're trying to actually, your job is to grab eyeballs. That's what your job is. Um, be factual if you can, but by all means, come he- heaven or hell, get get eyeballs. That's really what. And that's, that's what, why you know. I love the Linux Action Show because of not only your commitment but the community's commitment to accuracy. Sure. Right. right. Yep. Yeah. We I do realize try. this. I realize this probably isn't possible, but 
I think it'd be great if we could get like a uh, JupiterNews.com and have a like the community write pieces. Well, that's interesting, Dasani. You wanted to before we go too far from Ars Technica. You wanted to have, make a defense there, right? Well, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. There, Ars Technica. It depends. It depends if it, how long the article is. When I, I really love their coverage of like uh, Geohots and the whole Sony hack and the whole doxing of of um, ah. That one security researcher by Anonymous. That oh, was, yeah, those yeah. were great articles. Yeah, I think so. And See, I don't think it's a black and white so thing. Like, I think Pharonix does some good work too with benchmarking, and they do some good work with the Steam coverage that they had yep. there. So I don't well, think see, it's all black and white. It, it depends think, on what um, it is. If it's like, like gossip news, it, most of it's bad on Pharonix. If it's like gossipy type stuff, but like if it's benchmarks and things like that, that's where Pharonix has its place, I think. I yeah. think when it comes to sites like Pharonix, a lot of what I see is the writers are typically people who use Windows or OS X, and they give Linux a try and give it a review based on, okay, they're going to have an Ubuntu try for a week or something. <laughs> yeah. A lot of times. And also, a lot of times, when something usually when something inaccurate happens, a lot of times you're looking at a slow news week, and so they're combing through mailing lists looking for any hint of something that can maybe tweak into something that's not yeah. or exaggerated a little bit. I mean, it's a problem that, yeah. that really happens. But when you have really good coverage... That's not a reflection of how awesome that site is. That's a reflection of really awesome news being there available that week. All right, Wizard uh, Wizard Jed there has uh, one last remark on Pharonix, and I think we'll close the book on Pharonix. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I just wanted to say, uh, for even Pharonix, even for benchmarking, you've really got to take a good look at it. Uh, they, he's gotten better with time, but if you look at any of his old stuff, I think he's been learning with time that, you know, to get closer and closer and to use the same hardware with everything, but... If you go back, he'll go and you'll you'll use the same processor and say, yeah, this is the exact same benchmark. But he's using it on a board that has a lower uh, lower bus speed than the other one, so it's never going to be the same. Uh, never going to be the same uh, benchmark at all. But right. he puts his hardware careful. in an in an advantage. One of the things he's testing already has an advantage versus the other thing. Mm. Yeah. Which he did that for a couple of things, like even file system tests and stuff. I uh, I think I'll shift gears. I think, you know, I'll, I'll wrap up the news discussion with just sort of this comment is I think I'm thinking more about this stuff, too, as we reach episode 300. Uh, so it's my commitment to Martin and the KDE project and all of the listeners of the show and that, you know, I at post 300, I really want to improve our quality of news. And I, I, I want it to be as reliable as any news outlet for Linux. It's last isn't about breaking news. It's about analyzing the news of the events and 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 commenting on that development for that week and it's sort of every week we're taking a slice of what happened in the linux and open source world and analyzing it and trying to pull out the most important things that happened that week so if you if you only listen to one thing i want linux action show to be the thing you can listen to and know that you're getting the best stories of the week and my goal isn't to sort of try to change that model it's just to improve it and say you know if we can go directly to a source in some cases and just get them on the show and get it right out of them and quickly as we're doing some of our other coverage, I think that'd be a good improvement to the show. And I don't know if that's the end goal because that is, it is a lot of work, but we'll see post 300. I'd like to see if we can't get there. Um, and, uh, we'll at least try to make improvements where we can. Yeah, go ahead. I'd like to just, um, just say one more thing regarding last. Um, the great thing about Linux Action Show is even if it's a slow news week, the other main section of the show can really provide something to give that show some oomph yeah, compared yeah. to Absolutely. the news section. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's that's. I mean, that's. We always try to make sure that you know, last. Even if you don't like the main topic, there's going to be news and feedback and picks. And if you like the main topic and it's a it's a win win, etc. There's always something there for everybody. 
Uh, but why don't we? I got an email from uh, from somebody named Cash. I love that name. Nice. And uh, this is an argument that I think I've heard kicked around. I've even considered myself. He says, hey, guys, I'm a big fan of Linux Action Show and Linux Unplugged. It's a great video podcast. I have a question, though. Do we really want Linux to be a mainstream OS? For example, imagine everybody in this world able to drive a Ferrari or some kind of rare car. It doesn't feel <laughs> special anymore. Once yeah. again, do we really, really want Linux to be a mainstream OS? Thanks, you guys, and keep up the good work. Cash in Malaysia. That's an excellent point. I mean, I think for myself personally, I'm okay with – I want everybody in my circle of influence to enjoy it. So wait, I, is he, you know, is he I, if that it, makes sense. Is he saying they were a bunch of hipsters now? <laughs> oh, I, you know, that's kind of where I – so here I come down on two minds of this. I'm with Matt. At the same time, I'm like, hey, as long as it makes me happy and makes anybody that I get to use it or wants to use it happy, that's all it really needs to do. And it's up to everybody else to figure it out on their own. And then at the same time – uh, I don't know. I think maybe it's 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 maybe it's a little bit of that Richard Stallman in me. Get it out of here. But I I wonder <laughs> if 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 we don't sort of owe it to try to make this free and open platform available to everyone who doesn't want to be restricted by the computer systems that are really just designed to monetize them and lock them down and keep them locked into ecosystems. See, Linux sort of provides this general computing platform that frees people from the corporatization of computing, and uh, in some ways. It almost feels like a duty to make that available to everybody else. But the other way, I'm like, but it doesn't mean we need to sacrifice making an awesome desktop. I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I, I disagree with the fact that it shouldn't be mainstream. I personally would love to see more stuff like Netflix be easily available on Linux just to be able to like click and watch without having to use something like Pipelight and have to worry about some bug and whine preventing me to be able to watch it. Or some uh, graphics drivers, you know, getting better. See, even if the Linux does go mainstream, you can still be a hipster if you use awesome or X mode. That's true. Well, so I mean, like, I think Wizard Jet here brings up a good point. I mean, he thinks we've gotten as far as we have because we haven't been limited just to geeks. Go ahead, Wizard. Yeah, uh, we we we've always taken in input from everyone else because Linux only exists because the community has made it exist. You know, the, just the kernel doesn't make all of Linux. Just the, just the GNU userland doesn't make just all of Linux. It's because we've all gotten together and made certain parts. And because everyone's had input, we've made what we have today. And it's only through going and you know having more people in there we that I can only see benefits of having you know the Linux get better. I know this is going to make a lot of people foam at the mouth, but I think Canonical's efforts in the past, what is it, uh, 13, I mean, not, I mean, eight, nine years yeah. that they have done to bring Ubuntu to, it used to be Linux for human beings, but now it's, I guess, mainstream. <laughs> that has helped bring Linux so far to where it is now. I think it's wasted effort. I mean, no, now I think it's they not. did what Linspire attempted to do and wasn't able to do successfully, but they learned from their mistakes and built up, built upon it. Yeah, so. yeah, I, I agree. They've helped a lot with uh, getting a lot more people to try it. And you just look at the adoption you've seen in business too. That that's that's not quite fair to all the other projects that you know Ubuntu wouldn't even be able to exist if it wasn't for them too. So it's it. There's a lot of there's a lot of love to go around, but I think I agree. In the end, bringing more and more people in all the time improves Linux. So look at. Look at it in a different way. Uh, Linux has seen such an – we're going to cover a story on Sunday that I've already been researching uh, (laughs) about uh, where the code growth is in Linux over 2013. And uh, the Linux Foundation put out their analysis. You guys probably all saw the link now. And uh, it it, to me is so – 
it so underscores how bringing in ARM and going to mobile, even though like we see a lot of companies like Google and Android and Samsung sort of using Linux for all these different things, it actually has brought so much to Linux itself. So many new features, so many new improvements have come from that work and continue to come from that work, efficiencies too. And that's by bringing in a new class of people and a new class of hardware partners because it's not just users. It's not just desktop users. It's developers. It's hardware manufacturers. It's business interests. And we've brought them in. And because of that, we've gotten better. We've gotten stronger. And I would argue that you know, we, we used to bang on TiVo for the TiVoization of Linux, but I don't think it's harmed Linux one little tiny teensy bit. Hmm. He, here's my only fear. And the... You can call me Richard Stallman for all you care, but <laughs> but um, I just don't want to see that we have a whole bunch of developers develop to a point where a lot of the Linux kernel or a lot of the Linux stuff that's in there is closed off from people. So, like, only the development comes from the developer teams. I, I would prefer to see kind of like a symbiotic relationship between the developers and the open community just a little bit because say like you know like how we have adobe killing us on flash so we have to figure out ways of working around with flash a little bit more it it would probably be more beneficial if yes i do think that we need more people but we also want to have people that would be willing to contribute to the community not just not just in a software fashion, but also in a communication fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't even necessarily think they have to directly contribute, but I mean, if somebody you know is helping support them, or if it's a right. support team well, that may run into these Wimpy, issues, example, the more people right? using it, the more issues that get highlighted and fixed. I think Wimpy fills this role really well right now with the Mate Project, where he's uh, you know he's here, he's advocating Mate, he's very informed about it, he's communicating with the developers, he's working with a large distribution. Uh, it's 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 exactly what a lot of these projects need, and so I think he's a great example. I'm, so another reason I'm glad he could join us this week. Uh, well, there you go, Cash. There's the uh, there's the community's uh, the virtual lugs thoughts on Linux Day mainstream. It sounds like for the good of Linux, we have to continue to grow. We must assimilate all, as the Borg would say. Uh, all right, Matt. Well, I think we'll wrap it up right there at that point. I'm not going to say what we're going to talk about on Sunday. I'm just not going to do that anymore because every time I commit, something comes up and we have something else. But I will say there is a possibility, according to the forecast, that we'll have snow. So if if, uh, Matt ends up Skyping in on Sunday, that you can assume we got a good uh, snow dump in here in Washington. And and because of where I live, I live uh, live in a valley, but I also live in the highlands. It's kind of hard to explain, but we get the worst of it in town. So you never know, but we'll find out. And I live on a nice hill. (laughs) Yeah, you do. Oh, oh, that's right. Oh, God, I just remembered that. Yeah, I'll probably – depending on what it looks like, I'll either – I may be Skyping in. We'll find out. There's a a long route you can go. It's not quite as steep, but uh, yeah. (laughs) And and I I should make a programming note here too uh, if you're a JB Live uh, streamer uh, and you watch TechSnap, check out uh, TechSnap. It's going to be a double TechSnap on Thursday. We'll be starting at 11 a.m. Jupiter Broadcasting Time. That's Pacific Time, 11 a.m. But you can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get it in your local time zone. And uh, we're doing a double show because uh, TechSnap won't be live next week. But TechSnap never misses a show. Just like this, actually. Here we are, 26 weeks in. We've never missed a show. What's up? We know what's going on. So here, why don't you come participate? Join our virtual lug. Hang out in our chat room. You get to help title the show. You guys get to get your thoughts in there. I'm watching that the entire time. Go over to jblive.tv. 
on a Tuesday. We start at 2 p.m. Pacific. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar has that in your time zone. We'd also like to get your feedback on any topics we discuss. We like to feature that in every show. We put it right at the top because you guys matter to us. JupiterBroadcasting.com. Click on the contact link. Choose Unplugged from the drop down. All right, Matt. I'll see you on Sunday. See you Sunday.